Hi, Jim. Hey, Adam. What's up? Not much. I was just thinking about my favorite single issue out yeah. of any comic ever. Yeah. Except there's a bunch of them, so I got several favorite single issues. You want to just talk about like two or three of them? Yeah, I think we could do that. How about we do that? On this episode oh, of Graphic Content. He called you a cowboy. What in Sam Hill? What did he mean? What are you? I'm the abomination. The strongest mutant of all. Know this, swimming bird. Let's face it, this is not the worst thing you've caught me doing. This blue eye perceives all things conjoined. I cared much for the word impregnable. The past. Sounds a bit too much like unsinkable. The future. What's wrong with unsinkable? Nothing. And the present. As the iceberg said to the Titanic. Sir, how's life? He seems nice. going on here? Survival, Captain. Plain and simple. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. And we're back with the Graphic Content Podcast episode number 29. Can you believe it, Adam? It's the same age as me. Wow. That's... But um... only for like a little bit. <laughs> so it's going to be your birthday soon. Yeah, but don't tell anybody. Oh, okay. Well, I think we can keep it between us and our listeners. That's, uh, well, just as long as it doesn't leave this room. Okay. Yeah, that works. <laughs> uh, so Adam and I were batting around ideas, and there were, there were some, some good ideas that were coming across. It's just some of the books I simply haven't read. And there were certain things I was just like, eh, I'd like to read it again. You know, certain books that we'll talk about on future episodes. Like the remastered Youngblood hardcover of one through four. Youngblood, yo, we're kicking it with Youngblood. Yeah, Do you right. remember that? I heard about it. It's one of those urban legend things that I oh, never got to see it. Dude, it is, it's not on YouTube, but there are people, okay, Mike, my buddy Mike, the one who started Volume 1 of Graphic Content, John Wright and I remember watching a commercial where, oh, fuck, which one was the anchor? Dan uh, Fraga? It was Dan Fraga. Oh, my gosh. It was Dan Fraga with his hat turned sideways like the <laughs> fucking Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And he's doing an ad for the McFarlane Toys Youngblood Oh my God. Figures. Do you remember yeah, those? Yeah, yeah. And on the Saturday morning commercial, I think it was playing during the Wildcats block. Of course. Which was what, by the way, we're, I never want to talk about the Wild Wildcats cartoon. It was a war crime. I mean, that was abysmal, dude. If you think that's bad, I played the video game based on the cartoon. Was there a video game? For Super NES. No shit. Yeah, I played that. Was that bad too? It was probably <laughs> as it, I think it was probably worse than the cartoon. Wow, that is it was a, a clusterfuck. And you know what? For what was one of my favorite comics to come out of Image Wildcats, it was really too bad it happened. But there was this bit we were alluding to it, but where there were they were showing off the figures during this hip hop track, and I can't remember any of the this lyrics, any of the lyrics, but it was Dan Fraga, the anchor. Who and he's also an artist himself, who ended the rhyme with "and you're kicking it with young blood, yo." And Holy fuck! It was. It's not urban legend. That shit happened. <laughs> now, mind you, this is like I want to say twenty. It must have been twenty or twenty-five years ago, dude. But that shit actually fucking happened. That's insane. It wasn't insane. Well, and they should have brought Walsh Portacio on to come fucking rap about the or, Wetworks figures. Or, or beatbox underneath. underneath oh, the, man. Wouldn't that have been dope? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> that would have been fantastic. And fantastically awful. We're talking about our best self-contained single-issue stories. That's what we're going to talk about. Adam, would you like to go first with, yes. the, with one of your favorite single-issue storylines? Uh, we're going to hit three stories each. Yep. And just like the stories themselves, we will keep it brief but enjoyable. Yes. Uh, the first one I'd like to tackle is The Midnighter, number okay. seven, out of the original series from 2000, I want to say 2007. Okay. Uh, and it was written by Brian K. Vaughn, and it was 
drawn by Derek Robertson with Carl Story on inks. And I want to say Tony Avina on colors. Okay. Uh, I can't remember exactly. You're looking at me like I should know. Come on. I, I you're the one know. with a fucking computer in front could, of you. Do you want me to look it well, up? Well, I see you typing, and I'm like, I'm is looking he up my stuff. Shit? Oh, okay. You're the you're the right. human repository of all things <laughs> comic industry. Here. I'm just depository, she, not repository. Yeah, you're a suppository. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Uh, so yeah, the whole issue was a mind fuck because it's <laughs> it's backwards. You start on the last page. Oh my! So as you're reading it, you you literally are reading it backwards. Oh wow! And so, kind of like a, a manga. No, no, not like story wise. You're reading it backwards. Okay. Chronologically, you're reading it backwards. Okay. Uh, I guess it could be a manga because you f- you flip it around to the back ad and then you can read it. Like okay. front to back, I guess. Yeah. And that was the genius thing about it, is huh. there's jokes that work both ways. Okay. Um, and it was one of those genius issues that only Brian K. Vaughn could have done. Wow. Uh, Derek Robertson is a perfect artist for the Midnighter and Wildstorm, in my opinion, because he captured the dark, gritty edge of it. Uh-huh. And while the, the gimmick of it was cool, the story in and of itself was was awesome, too. It was just Midnighter going through and, and beating up uh, all these people that were running a an oil corp. I think it was oil corporation that okay. were you know mad mad scientists plan to rule the world and he just bashes heads and murders everyone that you know comes at him. He is fe- feeling especially Midnighterific in this one. It, it's yeah, it's Midnighter at the height of just being. Everything Midnighter. At the height of his own mythology. So exactly. he's coming right off of the authority, right off of... Uh, was this the first Midnighter series? Yes. Okay. It was the first Midnighter series. So this is this is like, I'm coming off of my time in the authority Midnighter. Well, he, the nice thing about this is you don't need to know anything about it per se. Okay. Uh, you just kind of have a base, a base knowledge of the Midnighter. He's part of the authority. He... Uh, is in love with Apollo. Uh, he's who's the Superman analog, right? And to he's his the, Batman analog, right. and um, he is hardwired with with neural enhancing cybernetics, which allow him to run a fight in every possible combination so that he wins. And tactically speaking, and the fun thing about this is you can see him run through the specific scenarios and instead of picking the most effective one, he picks the one he enjoys the most. Okay. Um, and there's this whole like, there's this whole section of where he's counting off the bad guys at like one little two little three little Indians. <laughs> oh my god! And it's just so fucking cool because as you read it, going you know it counts down and then it counts up depending on how you read it, and it has that re the rereadability to it. Okay. So if you find it in your back issue bin, it's well worth it. You don't need to know anything other than who the Midnighter is. It doesn't fit into any continuity. Uh, it's just, this is Midnighter taking a day off of the carrier and just going to kick ass. Okay. Fantastic. You know, what Midnighter does for fun. Yeah. Which is beat up and murder people. And that's, that's bad exactly people. what it was. Bad people. Very bad people. He doesn't, he doesn't beat up and murder good people. Uh, not even close to good people. Yeah, no, definitely. People that he can justify torturing. I have not spent enough time on the Midnighter solo series. I think I need to do that because... That series is magical front to back. That's one of the few series that ha- it has multiple creators running through it, mm-hmm. and I love every issue. Well, I'm currently rereading uh, the Stormwatch reissues that came out from DC from the uh, Wildstorm archives. So they have the entire Warren Ellis's entire Stormwatch run collected in two trade paperback volumes, and I'm in the middle of the second trade paperback volume right now, where they're introducing Henry Bendix's secret Stormwatch unit that um, Apollo and Midnighter were part of, and just going that far back to these guys' origins, and you don't know are are these guys lovers or are they not lovers? They kept it kind of, could they or couldn't they be? You know, it, it was implied, definitely, but you don't didn't know for sure until the authority. And it was, it's neat to go back to the beginning of that character because he is originally explained to be a Batman analog, but he's become so much more in the years since, I think. I, somebody, I believe it was on our Instagram, asked if we thought, that we would ever see Midnighter in the DCEU. 
And quite frankly, I think it's possible, but not in the incarnation that I would like to see because I, I'm an asshole when it comes to this. I don't just I, I don't view Midnighter the same way I view Batman, right? Or the same way I view Superman, where they work in so many different settings. Exactly. I don't believe that works for Midnighter. Midnighter existed in that universe, and that's where he worked the best. Yes. The current Midnighter we have was completely I, I read the first issue to give it a chance and this I This is the one that Steve Orlando is Yeah, writing, and I, I just couldn't I couldn't. Yeah. It was not the Midnighter I knew and love. It was a completely different person to me. Right. And uh, it made me sad. <laughs> so there you go. And I say the perfect Midnighter stories are the ones like you're talking about and I'm also talking about the ones in both Stormwatch and the Authority comics. That's where you see Midnighter I, I'm sorry, but I flipped to that page in the first issue of Warren Ellis's Authority, where it's he's in that underground tunnel, and one of Kaizen Gamora's superhumans has a civilian. You know, he's holding her by the neck, saying, "I'm going to incinerate oh, her okay. if you if you take another step." And that's when he explains, "Look, pal, you don't understand. My my entire nervous system has been rewired for maximum effectiveness." I have implants in my brain, which allows me to immediately calculate all 148 ways this can go bad for you. Do the right thing and just let the girl go. And you see the guy about to break the girl's neck. Nah, didn't even get that far. I mean, he did have 148 ways to kill that guy, and he did it. Yeah. It was, oh, my God. Yeah. That was, and, and I'm going to use that as my segue for my first one, which I admit is a cheat. Um, because I was having problems with with digging into my old dusty brain, which you know is is a factor in many of our episodes. <laughs> so I try to uh, at least accept it for what it is. But I was able to actually get a hard copy of this because everywhere I went to see if it, a hard copy was on the stands, I could not find it when it first came out. It was just, it sold out at the places that I went to. And that was another Warren Ellis story called Avengers Endless Wartime, which, okay, it's an original graphic novel, otherwise known as an OGN. It's a hardcover book, but it's short form. It's self-contained single issue. It might not be as short as a 22-page story, but... Well, the I, nice thing about that story is that you don't... It's, a, it's one of those one-offs. You don't need yep. to know anything going into it other than these are the Avengers. These are the Avengers, and they are a classic modern era Avengers team. So you have Captain America, you have Thor, you have Iron Man, you have Black Widow, you have Hawkeye, and you Captain have Marvel. Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers, and you have Wolverine in the book. Uh, is Hulk in there too? Yeah, he uses a three-act cinematic kind of structure in writing this book, and he appears halfway through the second act of the book. Okay. So yeah, Hulk shows up too, but he, he, he has a little bit of time in that. This book, to me, when it came out, and I read it strictly on Comixology on my tablet, this, was t- this book came out during the Jonathan Hickman run on Avengers, if, if I remember right. I think that's 2014. Yeah, that take. sounds about right. And it was Captain America in his hexagonal plate armor, which I really thought was amazing. I love that design for Cap still as a modern replacement for his World War II spandex with chainmail. I'll be honest, I was really taken aback by this story because Captain America is confronted by a demon from his past, some would say quite literally, that was being appropriated by the U.S. military and intelligence complex to fight wars for it overseas, all of which was deployed by a third-party publicly traded corporation. So this gets into corporations fighting wars for the United States of America, which is still kind of a hot-button topic. It was, it was really big in the previous decade when you think about the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq and how we pretty much assassinate terrorists worldwide with drone strikes now instead of by sending Delta Force or SEAL Team 6 to go after these guys. We're just going to have a, a, a million-dollar drone up in the air and fire a sidewinder at this guy. That's how we kill bad guys nowadays, by remote control. And, and this is a story about how you take... Nazi occult super science, how they developed a kind of artificial intelligence technology during 1944, and Captain America was being sent to this remote island off the coast of, of, of Sweden or Norway or something to go after it, this place called Skreklandet. I have no idea what it means, but it's 
fucking... I, it's made up, I'm sure. It's made up, but I'm sure founded in, in the actual language of the area. Because that's what Warren Ellis does. Because he yeah. is OCD yeah. when it comes to details in and his comics. His research is second to none. I mean, he knows weird history very, very well. So Captain America is being besieged by Nazi super weapons. He's there with British... You know, he's flashing back when he sees the story... Let me let me go back. So he's he's watching the news one morning after doing push-ups on the top of Avengers Tower, and he greets the morning in New York um, uh, of a skyline. Still, he's been resurrected out of the ice for so many years, and it's not the New York he remembers. It smells too nice, <laughs> you know. And after doing his push-ups, he and and Jarvis get into it that he wants to make his own cup of coffee, but Jarvis won't let him because he's a butler and he doesn't do that. And uh, Henry Cap realizes he doesn't know how to work a Keurig, so he, <laughs> he moves on. And he's watching the news as the Avengers are filing in for their weekly meeting. He sees something on television that harkens him back to a day in World War II where he was on this secret mission with British flying officers, uh, fly, flying these old Lancaster bombers that look like they're barely holding together in the middle of this thunderstorm where he was sent to do a recon. He was just just like in the Ultimates. He was going to jump out without a parachute, land on this island, <laughs> and Jesus. do a recon, and take out the Nazi super science taking place over there. He didn't get to it because they were engaged by British flying wings, all that had giant laser weapons like from fucking Independence Day or something. Holy shit. So what does he do? Again, without a parachute, he takes some cord, some this, this line of rope, ties it around his shield, throws the shield at the cockpit of, of one of the, the, the Nazi Independence Day laser beam planes. <laughs> the shield embeds in the cockpit window, and he rides it all the way to the ship where he uses the shield to break into the cockpit, and then he takes his belt of grenades off, pulls one pin, throws it into the cockpit, then throws the shield back to the other plane <laughs> just as the other one explodes. How do you even come up with that? That's Warren Ellis. I mean, this guy just understands warfare. And this guy, because he does his research, he knows what it takes to try to break through air, aircraft glass. Well, Captain America's shield can do it because he's fucking Captain America. It's vibranium. It's vibranium. So he's able to take care of this threat to their mission of the patrol around Skrek landed. But just as he's ready to approach the island and make his jump, the island explodes in a burst of lightning. Wow. Burst of lightning. Mission is scrubbed. But he remembers that name. He saw the intelligence reports showing the awful, evil monsters and robots. They were making monsters. They were making monsters and robots on this island. So just classic bad Nazi shit. Bad Nazi shit. Okay. And as, as we were talking about before we started recording this episode... Anytime it's it's a it's a shorthand that writers lean into. If you put a swastika on it, they're the bad guy. But you never see a swastika in this, so it's implied. They have to imply it. They have to imply the dark shit that they were into. You know, I mean, this is science driven by Hydra and the Red Skull, right? So it was just crazy. Find out that on the same day that Captain America was fighting in the skies above Skrek Landit. Thor was fighting a monster on that island. Holy shit. Okay. And he destroyed this, and I won't spoil it because this book is easily available on Comixology. Uh, you can buy it on Amazon.com. You can go to many comic shops which ordered more copies than they sold. Find this book, okay? And it tells this beautifully written story um, with workmanlike artwork from Mike McCone, who has drawn a lot of books that I love. I mean, I told you about Jeff Johns's run on New Teen Titans, well, the Teen Titans that he did uh, pre New Fifty Two, and I like their collaboration quite a bit. I thought Mike McNola's artwork kind of you mean McCone? Mike, I said McNola. Shit, Ugh, old dusty brain. But anyway. You see how the shared history and shared dark past between Captain America and Thor is this point of convergence in how this technology is being deployed in, in theaters of war, not unlike Afghanistan, and how it's being brought to the shores of America and can be even more threatening. 
with the U.S. government employing evil Nazi super science in the defense of the United States of America. It is a brilliant thing, and I'll tell you what, the last, the, 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 the coda to this story is a conversation between Captain America and Hawkeye that cannot be missed by fans of either character, bar none. All the Avengers do what they do best. Thor hunts like a Norseman. You know, if you know, he went out to hunt these monsters. Captain America says, he goes, I need a hunting party. Captain America says, choose. He goes, I will take Captain Danvers or Colonel Danvers, and I will take Tony Stark if I have to. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it, it's a good Warren Ellis book. Like everybody cracks on everybody else. It's just, it's the most human that you see these characters, and it's the most magnificent you see these characters simultaneously. Um, I bought the book for 12 bucks. I'm looking here that uh, it's available from Amazon Prime for $14 and change. It's just great. Just, oh, I love this and book And it so seems much. to be a highly accessible book to where, you, again, we, we go into not, not needing to be bogged down by continuity stuff nope. that's easily accessible. Everybody is introduced to the reader. So you could be somebody who's just watched The Avengers and Wolverine's case, the X-Men movies, and this book is just as accessible to you just having movie knowledge of these characters, let alone deep comic book cut knowledge. Excellent. Yeah. So I, I, I want to say it runs south of 100 pages. I don't have the exact page count in front of me. It is not a hard read. There are parts where I felt that the artwork was rushed or rushed looking on Mike McCone's part, but then there were other panels that were just simply magnificent too. And I think part of that is driven by the mad ideas of Warren Ellis. This guy does no wrong. So 12 bucks, 14 bucks, whatever it is on Comixology today, you're going to get a nice, good read sitting down and reading Avengers Endless Wartime. It's just a great Avengers story on the surface, but if you choose to dig deeper, it's a story about how warfare is conducted nowadays. So highly recommend it. I I actually read that and I was I was a big fan of it, but I my I couldn't remember. I have to sit down and read it again because I I couldn't remember all the specifics about it. Yeah, I remember enjoying it. Yeah, and enjoying Mike McCone. Well, I just got my hard copy a couple of days ago, so it's fresh in my mind right now. Yeah. It was just fantastic. Well, it's going to give me an excuse to go back and, re- and read and, it. And if you've already read it, it makes a great reread, too, every once in a while. It's just nice to go back and pick up an OGN where you can get done with a story that's like, you know, like your single issue before that's done in one. So anyway, what's the next book that you have to go over, Adam? Um, the next book is uh, another thing you're going to have to dig through the back issue bins for. Okay. And that's Spawn number five. Oh, Wow. That's going back in the day. It is. So when I kicking was kicking it with spawn blood. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. So uh, as an 18 year old, I discovered, uh, well, 17. I, 17? Okay. I discovered how to pirate comics. Oh. So. Oh, that hurts me. So this was the worst thing to ever happen to my teenage wallet. Okay. Because I, after reading things, I spent more time at Owl's. I would read at my computer. I just got out of high school. Uh-huh. I would read at my computer, be like, holy shit, that was amazing. Go to Al's, uh-huh. which is our local establishment. And in they Stockton, have, the, one of the most storied comic book stores in America, I would say. Uh, definitely out of the ones I've been to, it, it's one of those things, if you, you can dive deep, yes. you just got to know where to look. Mm-hmm. And holy shit, I raided that place Yeah. after reading story after story that I really enjoyed. So, so break down the story for me a little bit so, and remind our listeners who have read this what this is about. So in this discovery, this is I got outside of superhero comics. Spawn okay. was my first one outside of the superhero comics. And so as I read the first four issues, I'm like, oh, this is good. Five was what made me a fan of the character. Okay. So the whole thing revolves around this this pedophile getting out of prison. He's had good behavior. He's, uh, you know, a model inmate. Oh. And the main, the main. And this cops, is back what in the mid nineties. Oh, this is ninety two. Nine. Okay, so early nineties. So it's a different era than it was today, where, you know, people there weren't the laws on the books then that there are now about keeping these predators away from the core, the the children that they abused in society. Yeah, and they and, did their time and were just released back out into the wild. And and not only was he a pedophile, he was a serial murderer. 
Yeah. And uh, so... A bad dude. Yeah, I mean, this is... It, it's... And you talked about swastika being the universal symbol of bad. Yep. They slapped all the words on this guy in the English language that are the universal, you know, uh, notifiers of, of awful human hum- right. humanity. Um, so Sam and Twitch, the two main police officers, are are just basically like, we can't wait to catch this guy and, and murder him, essentially. Yeah. And... So it turns out that the spawn is roaming around the the streets of New York and he runs into this guy and finds out all the awful shit that this guy has done. Oh my god. And the story just unravels on how horrifying it is. At one point you see this guy he'd run an ice cream truck and he does finger paintings in the back of his ice cream truck with severed fingers of little kids. Okay. Uh, and so, and he's sitting there counting like a child, and just it was so disturbing. Oh wow! And at the very end, uh, you see, you know, Sam and Twitch are trying to to basically keep an eye on this guy, finding any reason to, to put him in prison. Sure. Spawn is also keeping an eye on this guy, finding any excuse to uh, to murder him. And yeah. sure enough, the the end of the issue ends up with. Uh, this guy in in Sam in uh, what Sam in Sam what fuck what's his last name? I don't know. Sam, it, I, I it, mean, basically, it's, it's in I, Sam and Twitch's office. Okay, Sam Burke. Okay, I mean, I remember the characters. Yeah, yeah. I just don't know the so he cuts on he him. he winds up. They spawn hangs this guy up in Sam Burke's office, wrapped in chains, and there's a sign on there as this guy has popsicle sticks stuffed in his mouth. He's naked and murdered blood all over him and it says he made them scream so i made him scream and scream and scream and scream and scream and it's just almost like a spider-man you know this is your friendly neighborhood spider-man except done in blood and ice cream oh my on on this pedophile murderer and todd mcfarland's art is already fantastic. I was a huge fan of his yeah. going into this and all the detail he puts in, and this is what solidified him as a writer for me. Interesting. Uh, the amount of, of exposition he was able to give, uh, he was able to add Sam and Twitch and add their, their characters just... It, it was very easy to get a handle on who they were. Okay. And Spawn was just the shadowy figure. You didn't need to know all the mystery. You didn't need to know all about Al Simmons. While they covered that in the first four issues, they used him, uh, McFarlane in this used him as the uh, the hardcore justice yeah. figure. Yeah. And he was he was the the consequences of this guy Billy's actions. Yeah. And you know. uh, yeah, this. He was, and, and McFarlane made it to where you looked at him and you were just like, this man is fucking disgusting. Yeah, this guy is terrible. And then you really get an idea deeper in the comic. I vaguely remember reading the comic back in the day, but the fact that it's so fresh in your memory still. I haven't read it for probably a year or two. Yeah. And it was, yeah, it was the one issue of Spawn that, I mean, it made me, it, it solidified me as a fan of Spawn and a fan okay. of McFarlane. Cool. Uh, in fact, at Image Expo a couple of years ago, when it was their their last one they did in, in San Francisco, McFarlane was there. Yeah. And he did this whole, uh, we're waiting in line for some fucking panel. The lines over there were insane. Yeah. So we're all waiting in line as the line is snaking around for some panel or something uh, or a signing. I can't remember. And McFarlane just comes out to the crowd and does the whole celebrity you know, uh, yeah, and you chat with the common man. Uh-huh. And, of course, we're eating it all up because it's course. fucking McFarlane. Yeah, and I mean, I the guy is still a rock star for he, comics. Yeah, and he was just like, who has stuff for me to sign? And I'm fucking, like, I have that one issue, and yeah. I'm, like, scrambling for it. And I hand it to him, and he holds it up, and he goes, this was the issue that made my, my wife leave working on the book. Wow. Because she was working as, as editorial. Oh, my God, I had no idea. Yeah, and he said that she refused to put her name on this. And he said, uh, he said, fine. 
Okay. And he he said from here on out it was just me. Wow. And she handled the business stuff, but she took her name off the book and wouldn't work on the actual book. That's impressive. Because of how disturbing it was and how dark it was. It, I do remember that. You know, I can tell you that much. I mean, I can give you my feelings of having read that book going, ew, this is just ew. And that the guy got what was coming to him, that he reminded me of the 60s Spectre that was in Adventure Comics. That's a very good analogy. Where he is an instrument of a kind of divine justice, even though he was a spawn of hell, quite literally, a hell spawn. Yeah. But that he was in this sort of divine order that there was going to be this ultimate comeuppance that was going to come to this guy for doing all the disgusting things and that earthly law could not catch him for whatever reasons. Yeah. And uh, I just just think that it was powerful for its day and its time. And obviously for you, it's still memorable. I mean, you read it a year ago. Yeah. And, uh, I don't think I've read it since the book first came out all those years ago. Yeah. I, uh, I still have it signed and everything. And, uh, I first for a long time, I was like, I'd like my spawn number one signed. And then I hit me. I was like, this is your favorite single issue. Fuck spawn number one. Like, sure. I guess there's, Maybe money there in the future for a collector or whatever who gives a shit. Spawn number five was the thing in my heart that that made me a fan of that character. So I was just like, this is the most sentimental value. I need to get this one signed. There you go. Cool. So, So Jim, what do you got next for us? Well, I got this neat story coming out of the Silver Age. So it was originally, it was called Today Earth Died. Now, did this happen before the dust collected in your brain or after? <laughs> I think the <laughs> dust that's in my brain is fallout from reading this issue oh, as, okay. as a young sense. boy. They had um, collections of all kinds of Marvel comics and trade paperbacks going back to the 1970s and early 80s that were before trades became even really a thing. They were called like Secret Origins of Marvel Comics, Son of Origins. Uh, classic Marvel tales and just be a, a, an anthology in paperback form of a bunch of Marvel comics. And I read this book in one of those anthologies as a kid, probably in the late seventies, early eighties. And I keep going back to this issue as my favorite single Nick Fury story of all time. Again, it's called today earth died. It was written and drawn by one of the absolute greats, of comics literature period. And that's a gentleman by the name of Jim Steranko. I mean, this guy's biography, not only is he an, uh, an illustrator for comics, he was a popular illustrator for movie one sheet posters that would go to movie theaters in the 1960s and seventies. So he's a real pop artist. He but, also developed a little character. We all know as uh, Indiana Jones. Yeah, he was working on that. He did a lot of storyboard work for Hollywood. Um, before he got into comics and storyboard work, you know what he did? He was a hypnotist, a magician, a stage magician, and an escape artist. I knew about the escape artist. I didn't know about the hypnotist. He is a fucking spy or superhero. I'm sorry. He is Jim Stranko is a gift to us from another universe. He's a crazy man now. He's also a little crazy. And he's still, well into his 80s, a beautiful human being to look at. I mean, he has, <laughs> he has this smile which would light up a room. I mean, obviously they're fake choppers, but Jesus, they're bright. <laughs> um, but I, at a very young age, I was turned on to the art of Jim Stranko because of Al's comics. He would have, we talked about this, I don't know if we talked about it on air, if we talked about it off air, but there was the Friends of Old Marvel club and then the Mary Marvel Mary Marvel Marching Society these were fan clubs of Marvel comics in the 60s and 70s and foom the friends of old marvel was it was an onomatopoeia that you would see in many comics you know like when fin fang foom would come out you would see foom you know as he would breathe fire on something or there'd be an explosion as foom so foom was the name of this marvel fan club at the time and some of the premiums that you would get would be these weird duotone posters that would come out. And Al had one of these of the famous shot of Nick Fury in a shield spacesuit holding a ray gun with a moon behind him, just kind of floating in space with a rocket pack. And I was like, D- 
do you know if that came from a comic? And then, you know, Al. Al's like, I don't know. It might be in Bad Kid. <laughs> yeah. Was this Al or Mike? This was Al. Oh, God. Yeah, you know. So he doesn't I, he, he doesn't know where he is because, half the time. Well, because there's... Well, I don't know about that, but I do know that there was so many comics that they had every week. And I eventually bought this poster. I want to say it was like 15 bucks back in the early 90s. Oh, jeez. So it was a collector's item. I have it somewhere. I just don't know where. Right now, it's in one of my storage units right now. But it was in uh, blue and red and purple it, because they couldn't reproduce these these mass-produced posters with the same color. It would be too expensive to, as a giveaway. So it was, on, it was shrink-wrapped on cardboard, and I left it that way for the longest time. I think I have it in a frame wherever in storage now. But it was just this cool poster, and it turned me on to Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., as this great comic. Well, a few years ago, Marvel released the Nick Fury Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. trade paperbacks, Volume 1 and 2. Volume 2 is where Scorpio, which is Nick Fury's uh, brother, Jacob Fury, Jake Fury, who is the villain from the organization known as the Zodiac, uh, as Scorpio, and he has the Zodiac key, which is this cosmic cube-like device. Uh, it's, It's just some of the craziest super spy comics with a, you know, Captain America guest stars on a lot of these these issues because they were all in the Strange Tales comic, which was a shared comic between Nick Fury and Doctor Strange at the that's time. That's a truly bizarre combination. That's what that's the it shit It lives they up to its name. Yeah, Strange Tales. So we're going to tell you strange super spy shit, and then we're going to, you know... The Doctor of the Strange. Then the Doctor of the Strange and the other half of it. Well, this book, or this issue, single issue, Today Earth Died, starts with Nick Fury looking at his most normal in the most abnormal-looking office furniture that I've ever seen. He's in the semicircular desk holding this weird dictaphone-looking thing, smoking a cigar, going over reports. And then, you know, with this weird kind of, I don't know if it's it's a lamp or a, a video screen or something, but it's just, it looks almost like, you know, Cthulhu lighting. I don't know what else to call it. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, uh, Joe Sinnott did the inks on this. The and, legend and Rosen did the the colors on this book and and it was just absolutely amazing and, and one thing that that a lot of people don't know is that Jim Steranko uh, worshipped at the feet of Jack Kirby when he was getting into illustrations he became an assistant of Jack Kirby and when Jack Kirby was starting to to wind down his Marvel Comics career he would hand off books to his various assistants in case in point he handed off. Nick Fury, agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. stories from Strange Tales to Jim Stranko, who, when he took over, was very much a Kirby apist. He, it was very Kirby-looking, but slowly he would start you know, slimming down the physique of his characters. He would still use the forced perspective of, of Kirby's illustrations, but his panel layouts became experimental. And his character designs became very experimental. And he would use these duotones... Uh, over which to explain is basically it's it's kind of like a coloring process of dots laid over other dots, and you combine these dots to get certain colors. That's how they colored comics back then. Well, he would take two tones over photographs of places like in this issue of Times Square, New York, in New York City. So real New York City, and he would take these photographs of it and then do duotone coloring over them to make it look like an illustration, but it was as lifelike as possible. When this alien, this golden alien, who I'm going to scroll down here and get the guy's name, but this alien presents himself as this savior from another universe. He almost looks like Adam Warlock where he's got the golden skin and the blonde hair. He's got this perfect gold circlet and he's got a toga style robe over him. So very much like a Greek, a Greek God kind of. Kind of of a Greek God, kind of Apollo. And this is, I just want to read this one panel. So basically it starts with, with Fury reading these reports and it goes forward and backward in time. So it's a nonlinear story as well. Kind of Tarantino like of how Fury's Day began. sounds like a mind fuck, especially for that time. Well, and that's where Marvel became the, the, the comic companies that hippies flooded to because these comics were warped in how he would present, you know, realistic environments with super realistic characters like this Greek God. So I'm going to read this thing to you. So 
he he descends on this circular platform from this spaceship, and he goes, "Peace, I come in peace, men of Earth. I am called Vanger from a dimensional ultra universe unknown to you." Holy, f- that sounds very Grant Morrison esque, right? You can see the shit that Grant Morrison was getting inspired by American comics today. A dimensional ultra universe. And he wants to bring peace and banish all illness. All humans have to do is take the prism of miracles, which is this giant sort of, I would say it was about anywhere from 12 to 18 inches high. It was a prism of pure crystal with an eyeball on one side. The fuck? A fucking eyeball. And if you've read H.P. Lovecraft, you know that when you see fucking eyes, that there's trouble coming. <laughs> and then it goes back to the S.H.I.E.L.D. team mobilizing of him, Dum Dum Dugan, the Contessa, all getting ready to, to get on the S.H.I.E.L.D. flyer to go to New York City from the helicarrier and meet this guy because the people of Earth, you know, and they have like TV news journalists there. Um, Life TV is a relatively new thing at this time, you know, in 1968. So he's playing with a lot of the presumptions of the media and how everybody's like, oh, this guy's so great. Oh, he wants to bring peace to our planet. Oh, this is wonderful. And this is taking place during a story where Jimmy Wu, one of the agents of one of his fellow agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is going undercover in the Yellow Claw organization. Don't ask me. I've, I've, it's a whole long story. I'm a huge Agents of Atlas fan. Yeah. So, so but this go is, read that they, if you want to know. They have a great Jimmy Woo appearance of him watching this on television, smoking a cigarette in a kimono. It's fucking great. And then the next page, then the next panel right under that is the alien attacking Nick Fury. <laughs> so it goes back, and he just turns. So does he still look like this? Uh, Apollo-like figure? He does, but hang on for a second. So first, he shoots this blast of energy, which turns Dum Dum and the Contessa into piles of salt. Holy fuck. Okay, if that's not old school, Old Testament, I don't know (laughs) what is. So Nick Fury got this pill. Uh, He says, you know, it had to be done for that, you know, they discovered my secret. No one must know before my mission is accomplished. That was a click death now. You are next, Earthling. And he puts his hand out, and then Fury goes, maybe, you know, M-E-B-B-E, as he would say, maybe, Mr. Whatever you are, but first I swear I'm going to kill you for what you just did. So maybe I can't stop you from blasting me with one of them lightning bolts, but this mold cocoon pellet will do the job right. He throws a mold cocoon (laughs) pellet at him. I'm... Okay, I can't even make this shit up. I'm reading this verbatim. A mold cocoon. That headband, no use making a grab for it. You'll never make it now. And the mold cocoon grenade doesn't do, it doesn't stop him. What it does is dissolve his fake humanoid form. And in its place is this weird golden non-asymmetrical or this asymmetrical fucking millipede-looking monster and Nick Fury has to fight him. And then instead, this, this creature keeps monologuing. Instead of killing him, he monologues him as you look at the... There's like this disembodied headshot of Fury realizing, you can see in his mind, like they're showing these, these photographs that they duotone o- over, like I was telling you about, of how he is going to cleanse the earth of human scum. And... There's these pictures of people running from war and nuclear bombs going off and just plague and blight and all these terrible things. And Nick Fury wakes up. It was all a dream. It was. He fell asleep doing S.H.I.E.L.D. paperwork, reading intelligence reports and all the weird shit that was happening in the Marvel Universe. And this was a dream he had after a bad night at work. Now, did you feel cheated at the end of that, when Even, you first read it, I, I tell you what, as go, looking back on it as a kid, no, because the artwork is so dynamic, and I think it, it stacks up to anything being done to this very day. So, in just the enjoyment of the art and the process and the panel layouts that are still completely unique to Storenko, no. Do I feel cheated as an adult reading this book? No. You know why? 
because sometimes I fall asleep doing paperwork late at night for my job, and I get nightmares as well. And I can identify with that. Wow. This is a guy who fell asleep doing... And think about the shit that S.H.I.E.L.D. handles. Like, they're not just the CIA, which I think if you or I read any modern CIA intelligence briefing, we'd shit our pants. Easily. Easily. Imagine being a guy who's hip deep in it every day and then trying to catch a wink of sleep after that. Yeah. It's just... I can even identify it now with it better than I could when I was a kid reading this for the first time. And I'm sorry, this story holds up to this very day. I'm just sad it's not in one of those two collections that I mentioned earlier. Really? Yeah. So you got to go hunt this one down and spend a little money. Spend a couple of bucks on Strange Tales number 168. I know it's in a collection of some Marvel anthology of something. I just don't know. remember which one it is. I wonder, they did the Visionaries hardcovers of various of the old school Silver Age dudes. If they've done Jim Stranko's Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., then maybe. They they did a one, it was kind of a best of Jim Stranko. Okay. So it but wouldn't be, surprise me if it's in there. I have had the thought of maybe going after some original Silver Age comics, and maybe, just maybe, I might go after that run. Because I've, I've got complete run of Phantom Stranger and The Spectre, from the 1960s, because I'm a big, I, I love Jim Oh, Jim that's Apera. right. And I'm thinking that if I'm going to make another run at something, why not make it Strange Tales? That's so if I'm going to go into Silver Age stuff, but you got to spend some bucks for that. Oh, yeah. You know, especially You're- for Storenko, his commands some money. So, you you know, I, I, I want stuff that I can actually read. So I'm not going to get the CGC graded ones. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not even consider that. So I'm willing to go pour on the value, just like my Kirby and human stuff, you know. I want to read that again. I want to read those original comics again, the ones that were not collected in those two trade You want to smell the yellow newsprint? I want the yellow newsprint, man. Oh, so good. Now, what's your third book? So, my third book, the final one I'll cover today, is uh, from the mid-2000s. They did this little anthology series called uh, Spider-Man's Tangled Web. Yep. It was, I want to say 2003, yeah. and they would just bring on various creators to tell not stories of Spider-Man, but stories that had Spider-Man in the peripheral. Okay, so the people that that would see Spider-Man swinging from building to building. Yes, or, or was or, impacted indirectly some way through Spider-Man. Gotcha. Greg Rucka wrote this story. Already, uh, okay, I bought it. I'll buy it now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's called Severance Package. Okay. And it was drawn by Eduardo Rizzo. So you got two masters here. Yeah. Um, and this is mid-2000s, Greg Rucka and Eduardo Rizzo? Yes. Okay, I'm in. But uh, keep, please tell me about this So it, it's one issue. You, it's, it starts off with a man who's watching TV before he goes to bed with his wife. Uh, and you can tell this guy's kind of a mobster. He lives high class. Kind of a wise guy looking dude. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And so he's watching the TV and he looks and he sees Spider-Man and the police. And he just, he's just like, fuck. Well, it was good to be around. And he immediately, after the TV goes off, he gets a call. His wife picks it up and his wife's just kind of like, oh, why is your work calling at this time of night? It's 11 o'clock, da 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 and he's and he explains to her that he screwed up on the job. Okay. Not only has he screwed up on the job, but this is going to cost him his life because his boss is the kingpin. Oh shit. Yeah, so he ends up uh his wife knows who he works for and then he So ex- she's kind of a married to the mob kind of Yeah, and okay. and she's flipping out and he's very calm. He is treating this almost like going in to it's the like office being called being called into work. Yeah. Yeah. And she's just like, why are you not flipping out? Why are you so calm about this? And he's like, I knew this was going to be the outcome from day one. Oh, and wow. he had just accepted it. Oh, wow. And he says, and he says to her, uh, they're going to, they're going to, here's, you remember all the Swiss bank account stuff. He kisses his kids. Good night. They're asleep. He put, he goes in and kisses his kids. Uh huh. And uh, he's getting picked up, and his wife's all pissed. She's like, they didn't even send like one of the top-tier guys to come pick you up. They sent some scrub. Oh, shit. And so he's talking to the scrub in the car, and 
he's like, hey, I heard you had this botch on a job or whatever. And he's like, yeah, but Kingpin's giving me a second chance. And he's just like, yeah, I remember being 18. Uh-huh. And so as the, as the guy drops him off at the Kingpin's headquarters, he blows that guy's head off. Oh, shit. And he's just like, all right, so there's no second chances, kid. And then he walks up to the Kingpin's office and tells the secretary, I'm here to see him. And Kingpin's just like, well, you know, here it is. You know the consequences. And he goes, the story is you're going to be, you've attacked me because I fired you. And in rage, you've grabbed the guy who was, uh, the guy who, who was, he shot in the head. You grabbed that guy's gun and killed him. And then you shot at me. Oh, wow. And all he says is, just please leave my family alone. Let them be. And then Kingpin murders him. Wow. End of story. So we have no idea if the Kingpin kept his word or not. Uh, you know what? We did because the last thing is he calls a cleanup dude. And he says, and the guy kind of asks, like, what about this guy's family? And he says, leave the family alone. No shit. Okay. So kind of a mercy and death uh you know, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, you know, uh, honor among thieves. That's exactly what I was looking to say. Yeah, very much honor among wow. thieves. And uh, it's it was it was a magnificent issue. I actually discovered it through reading an old wizard back okay. in the day. Okay. And uh, seeing it being nominated for I think best single issue in the Wizard Awards and being voted on, and I can see why. Hey, before the internet, Wizard and and, and Comics Buyer's Guide that was in the newspaper. I was trying to remember the other the other episode, a few episodes back. Those were the only ways we were getting comics news and about the industry. Yeah, for me, I only kind of knew a little bit about Marvel at the time, so being able to. To pick this issue up, I read it initially as a teenager, and I said, what the fuck is this shit? There's no Spider-Man here. Yeah. And reading it as an adult, getting actually understanding it, uh-huh. and uh, just such a tale of brevity and, and uh, of life. and God, it almost has this kind of Goodfellas feel to it. Yeah. You know, where you know something bad's going to happen. And you're going to go into the office anyway because that's what you're supposed to do. And then you get the baseball bat in the back of the head. You know, it's yeah. just. And this guy, it was just so crazy. This guy, he's like, I thought about running. Yeah. But I knew you'd catch me. Yeah. And he just, he had accepted and, it. And he was man enough to have a one on one face to face with Wilson Fisk. Knowing he's going to die. Knowing he's going to die. He just has one request. He goes, you know, basically saying, I'll make it easy for you you leave my family alone and yeah. fisk being a family guy himself or wishing he had a good family life and knowing that he's ruined every members of his family's life by this point in spider-man and daredevil mythology uh yeah he could he could see that that was the the right thing to do from from that again that honor among thieves that 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 Omerta kind of pledge, you know, of 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 mob bosses. Yeah, it, that was that's dope, man. Yeah. I, I wish I gave that series a try back in the day. You know, it was it was a lot of hit and miss. Yeah, Darwin Cook had some issues in there. Really, that were hit. Uh, Carrie Andrews had a pretty good uh, okay. one issue. Um, Paul Pope. Oh did wow! One. Ted McKeever. It was it was very much a who's maybe who. I'll have you give me a list of of cool yeah. stuff, of, of the good versus the maybe not so. Yeah, it was very much a who's who. And it didn't sell very well, and I think part of that was just because it catered to the, the smart art, the smart comics audience. Gotcha. Well, I, I got a book here that caters to the smart comics audience, and I'm going to deep, go deep back into the day on this one as well. This is over a 30-year-old comic. I just read it, the date right now, and it feels just like yesterday when I read this. And I'm going to give a little bit of preamble, and I'm going to bring up uh, one of my dear friends who was lost to us a few years ago, Dave Phillips who I love this man. I love this man like a brother. And I knew I loved him the first time I met him at Lincoln High School in the year 1986. When And he was a few years younger than me. I was 17. I was a senior. He was a freshman. Him and my brother are the same age. And uh, he was 14. But I knew we were going to be friends when he we were comparing comics that we were reading. And so much of the comics that we were reading were the same. And he goes... And, of course, I read G.I. Joe. And I go, silent interlude? And he goes, fuck yeah, silent interlude. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
I'll tell you what. I mean, Dave could go for days on how cool Snake Eyes is because Snake Eyes is a motherfucking ninja. And, you know, he was a ninja with a newsie and a wolf. How can you say no to Snake Eyes? <laughs> I'm just laughing because of the, 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 the sheer craziness of a member of an elite commando organization whose unique contribution is being a ninja and he has a trained wolf at his side. <laughs> it's fucking nuts. But no, this is going back to March of 1984. Larry Hama did the art and the breakdowns for this. And um, uh, Steve Lealoa did the art over that. And it was about how in the previous issue, Scarlet was kidnapped by Storm Shadow on one of those Nazi or Nazi Cobra hang gliders with the jet jetpack. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. They were called the claws or something, the Cobra claws. And because Cobras have claws. Right. I could see if they can call it Cobra Fang, but Cobra Claw, because yeah. <laughs> it was like air wings or something was in the acronym. Anyway, so the story opens up, and you don't know this is an all-silent issue yet. It just opens up with Storm Shadow has got, you know, is flying over this ocean to this island fortress, and Scarlet was kidnapped by him, is still being held in this tight grip, and he lands, hands her over to some Cobra troopers, and little do you know, Snake Eyes is coming up in a boat. Snake Eyes is the only one following him. And then you, the story continues with Snake Eyes approaching the coastline, eluding the spotlights that are being shined over the water. You know, this is very much like uh, The Eagle Has Landed or Force 10 from Navarone, like one of these old school commando movies, you know, World War II style commando movies. Force 10 from Navarone was a remake or not a remake, it was a remake of The Men from Navarone that, that Harrison Ford started in right after being in Star Wars. It was a World War II movie he did. Anyway, long story short, Snake Eyes starts making his way up silently. And you're going, because his, the only note on his, on his action figures card was he was the commando and had a <laughs> classified record. Wow. And you're like... Wow, he's all in black, wears a ski mask. They alluded to it at this point that there was something wrong with Snake Eyes' face, that he was disfigured in some way, and that he could only sleep in sensory deprivation tanks. Wow. I mean, they were doing some... Larry Hama was doing some dark shit. I've never read any G.I. Joe, know nothing about it. So this is all news this, to this, me. This is, this is so good. And so, so Snake Eyes approaches the tower, and he starts scaling the rock. And then he starts scaling the building. You're like, what the fuck? Because this is the height of cheap, cheesy ninja movies, right? And it's just so badass at this point. He eventually sneaks his way in. And then there are guards. He encounters some guards. And um, I'm trying to remember the exact sort of thing. You know, he beats up the guards and then as he's, because it's like this tower-looking structure, and he's going up this snaking uh, curved staircase that goes around the, the, the base of the tower. And then he starts encountering ninjas with Psy, like um, Electra would fight with, the three-pronged daggers. Oh, okay. And instead of getting into a fight, he pulls a fucking Indiana Jones with them. So they're, like, doing their martial arts stance and, you know, like, flipping out kind of ninja shit. And instead of using a gun... He just throws something at him, and you don't see it because it's blurry at first. Because, again, this is Steve Lealoa over Larry Hama's breakdowns. And then, so the ninja crosses his, his side daggers over you know, in an X formation. And then you get this look of shock on the eyes of the ninja as, in freeze frame, the object they threw at him was M26 frag grenade. Oh, fuck. And boom. <laughs> <laughs> wow. He took out two ninjas with a grenade. It was so dope. And then finally he gets up. And I, I admit that I haven't read this book probably in... They did a Marvel reissue, or not Marvel, but IDW reissued, did like a master reissue of Silent Interlude, where they they had the main story. It was in a hardcover. And then in the backup were... Le, uh, not Leia Loa, but Larry Hama's breakdowns and how he put his script in between the backgrounds and just what a dope writer this guy is so that you could see the real creativity that this guy brought to it. Well, there's this fight 
that him and Storm Shadow get into where he loses his Uzi. You know, he takes out another couple, couple of Cobra guards and Cobra ninjas. I think Destro is there. Somebody else is there. Somebody else big is there. Anyway, him and, and Storm Shadow get into a fight. This is issue number 21 of G.I. Joe, which had only pre, you know, premiered two years before. We knew nothing of Snake Eyes being an actual ninja, but he had a sword with him. And he draws a sword, and you're like, holy shit, he's the guy with the Uzi. Why does he have a sword? He didn't have the wolf at this time either. That oh, was okay. later on. I, I kidded about that. So he's like, oh, shit, these two guys are sword fighting. And again, no words are being said at this point. You could see Scarlet screaming, being all tied up and everything. They start taking swipes at each other, and they're cutting each other. Like, they're bleeding across the chest and shit like that. Well, these two guys, as they're fighting, they each take a shot at the other's arm and tear away. Like, Storm Shadow had these wrappings around his forearms, and then Snake Snake Eyes wore all black, right? Well, they both strike at each other's forms and are just able to cut the fabric away. They had the same tattoo. Oh, my gosh. And it was, it, was, it was a trigram from the I Ching. And you're immediately thinking, these guys share a background. And nobody knew before this point. This biggest part of the story is that somehow Snake Eyes had a shared background with the Cobra Ninja Storm Shadow. So this is what linked them for the first time. For the very first time in comics continuity, in the G.I. Joe continuity. At this point, Storm Shadow's like, I'm getting cut too much. He bugs out, and there's nobody else left. I think everybody else who was in that tower bugged out as well. And Snake Eyes was able to untie Scarlet before the self-destruct device went off and blew up the entire island as they would in any other James Bond movie, right? And she's looking at him like, because she saw the two tattoos on each guy, and she just they're, they're sailing off, and she's like, the fuck are you? <laughs> and the two had... The two had some kind of relationship, but it wasn't deep love that the deep love that they had for each other was more like a kinship, more like being brother and sister. But later, later creators did a thing where they, they eventually fell in love with. So was it kind of like, uh, the Hulk and, uh, the Hulk and black widow in the Avengers movie. Kind of, kind of, you know, like you didn't know, you knew that snake eyes was a badass. He would always sneak in and, and you know, he was the stealthy guy. And he was the stealthy fighter. But there was no way of... of, of we didn't know exactly what, what Snake Eyes was all about until Silent Interlude, until we saw that tattoo, which said if... Jesus, there's this possibility that if Storm Shadow's a ninja and the, he, there's this tattoo that he has and Snake Eyes has the same tattoo, fuck, is Snake Eyes a ninja? It's just amazing. It was just an amazing issue. And look, either you get the hardcover, you get the original issue, which again was G.I. Joe number 21, March 1984. It's an expensive issue to get. Oh, is it? It is. I don't know how much it is, but I mean, it was definitely like a $30, $40 issue. Oh, my gosh. At one point that I remember, I could only imagine, because they were still doing things on newsprint. They were switching over to Baxter print, which is the nicer paper at the time. So... Again, this is just one of those issues where you don't even have to be a fan of G.I. Joe. You can just be a fan of a guy following this this captured woman. And again, it's the damsel in distress who, in today's world, you would not see that. The, it would be Scarlet going after Snake Eyes, return, you know, breaking him out of a ninja prison camp or something like that. But it was a classic damsel in distress, and Snake Eyes was Prince Valiant, but Prince Prince Valiant, if he was in the fucking American Ninja movies or something, <laughs> you know, if, if he was the Michael, du- played by Michael Dudikoff or something. I mean, it was just, it was a truly amazing comic, and it, and it was the first exposure I had to stories in a graphic medium being able to be told without words. This is before I became exposed to things like Will Eisner's A Contract with God, which you brought up several episodes ago. You know, where you can tell things in the sidebars of the story or or whatnot that you don't have to have word balloons for everything. And this one did it without any word balloons. Just amazing. So that's my third and final pick. I think we both had some interesting things to talk about in this one. Now, one thing I do know about that. What's that? Is Larry Hama, the way he wrote G.I. Joe at the time, mm-hmm. he planned nothing ahead of time. No. 
He just went, he was like, oh, I wonder what I'm going to do next month. But this one was, you could see that Larry Hama came upon an idea at this point, and this led into a whole different run where they got into Snake Eyes and Storm Shadows secret origin stories, which was told much later over several issues. And that was another amazing comic book, you know, out of main Marvel continuity storyline. It was just amazing. And Larry Hamm is just a tremendous, tremendous creative talent. And you have to respect him to this day because he was the one. He's not the first person to tell an all silent issue, but he was the guy that mastered it. This is the guy that nailed it fully. And Dave, wherever you are in this universe, I hope you know that this one I'm dedicating to you because you were my brother from another mother and you and I shared a deep and unabashed love of fucking snake eyes. So that one's for you, bro. That's, that's my, that's my third pick. Wow. That's uh man. It's so basically everybody has about a graphics, not a graphic novels worth of material Yes, to go out and find. And if you find all this stuff and you can read it in an afternoon It'll make one hell of an afternoon reading. I would, I would say it would not be a disappointing afternoon for a comic book fan. And it would definitely be, if you're trying to rank all that shit, good luck. Yeah, because I, I don't even know where you would begin in Iran. Nope. You know, so many I different mean, stories from so many different angles. And, and so many different eras. I yeah. mean, we, I think we touched this. I think the only era we didn't touch was the 70s. And there was tons yeah. of great Marvel stuff in the 70s. That, that's, a, that's an episode for a future day, I think. Yeah. Okay. Well, Adam, where can the kids find you online? Well, the kids can find me at Adam S. Messinger, as always. Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, you name it, I'm there. Okay. And I'm all around, but just under different profiles because I didn't think about branding. Uh, you can find me at Jimmers with 3Ms on Twitter, at Jimmers with 5Ms on Instagram, and at Jim Mason on Facebook. Don't forget, you can contact Graphic Content on Twitter at graphic podcast on Instagram at graphic content dot podcast. Or if you are a creator that wants to promote your work or would like to, or, or would just like to be somebody who sends us a longer form email, you can send it to our email address, which is the real dot graphic content at gmail.com. Speaking of creators who have sent us work, um, you may remember a creator we interviewed Hannibal taboo. Oh yeah. He actually, uh, the book he was he was plugging uh-huh uh that was, was irrational numbers from wonderman s- press subtraction right uh it was just the series in general well he that was the previous but he's got a new book that's coming out right well it's it's the whole thing's a mini series oh okay sorry um so it's irrational numbers uh the zero issue is on comicsology issue 1 has just been released on comicsology okay so if you get a chance go show uh go show some love to that Hannibal is a quality guy. I he thought, is. I thought you had a great conversation with him in that our technology is not advanced enough for multiple people to join in on, yeah. on interviews. Uh, we plan on doing some more interviews in the future. Um, I got media credentials for Stockton Con this weekend. Excellent. And, and we're going to have hopefully some interviews to bring to the audience, kind of yeah. like ID10T Fest. You'll be the representative there while I hold things down at the local comic shop. There you go. And... I don't want to forget uh, mentioning this, is we have the official site for the Graphic Content Podcast, which is facebook.com slash graphic podcast. That's where we have news about upcoming episodes and where we also I also post, uh, where I also share news from various sites like Bleeding Cool, The Comics Beat, Newsarama, CBR, about various things happening in the comic book industry and new titles and movies being released and all kinds of fun stuff. We also just rec- uh, recorded, which will be out by this time, a new episode of Holonet HQ, which is our Star Wars companion show that exists on the Graphic Content Podcast feed. So if you haven't checked that out, definitely it's on the same feed as this one. And you're a Star Wars fan, check that out. I talk with the co-moderators of the Holonet HQ group, Robert Lucchese and Nikki Penley, who are have some deep love for the Star Wars in society. So until next time, Adam, what are we going to tell the kids as my voice gives out? (laughs) Go read a comic. And after you read that comic, make sure you listen to graphic content.